Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Think Education podcast with me, Judith Lammy, um, awake and bright and breezy in Swansea, <laughs> Wales, and my co-host, definitely bright and breezy, fresh off the plane, pretty much, very nearly, yeah. from Taiwan, Chris, Chris Hill, Professor Chris Hill, you have been out and about what have you been up to in Taiwan? <laughs> I have, yeah. I mean, landed. So we're we're recording this um, one p.m. Dubai time, so nine a.m. UK time, um, and I landed uh, five a.m. Dubai time, so uh, whatever that was, your time. Um, uh, having done a night flight, which was oh, it was you know fine. Um, I'd been in Taipei for not that long actually. Um, I flew in. <laughs> whatever it was, 4 a.m. Friday morning to land, my time to land to Taipei time, sort of three in the afternoon. Um, and I was, I went to take part in something called the Global Classroom, which um, National um, Qingqi University, so NCCU in Taipei, um, where a colleague of mine, uh, Professor Angela, who has been on the podcast before talking about um, accreditation, um, uh, and all all that that jazz. Um, she she runs this sort of international, I guess international week, uh, and I've been taking part in it for for quite a few years now. Obviously, I missed the last three in person because of COVID, but we still did them online, uh, and it's it's a lot of fun. It it involves um, delivering sort of a, a series of somewhere between lectures, seminars, presentations, something like that, um, on uh, different aspects of internationalization. And, and they've obviously varied each year because in some cases the, it's for masters and PhD students. But obviously in some cases the PhD student, you know, has been attending the course for each of the three years and therefore you can't, <laughs> as much as you may want to, you can't just deliver the same presentation three times because people remember this stuff, um, um, which is both... I guess flattering and also worrying, right? That um, people remember what you said. Um, so, so now you've just got to make sure you've got a three-year cycle of presentation. <laughs> yeah, least, abso- absolutely know. right. Um, <laughs> but I mean, as as you'd expect, um, our recent books provided a lot of fodder for uh, for presentation and conversation. So, um, and then um, there's a sort of a series of student consultations where. Um, uh, PhD students who are either working on, say, a paper within their um, their program, or perhaps they've got a presentation coming up, or perhaps it's part of the broader thesis. So, you know, I have sort of these half-hour drop-in sessions, which is usually sort of eight to ten in a row <laughs> on varying topics of, of things that you, um, um, I guess, pretty well qualified to talk on some, moderately qualified to talk on some, and then... Well, <laughs> yeah, the, and then the other ones, the other ones, yeah. Um, but uh, and so that's that's always really really fun. Um, yeah, pretty short trip, but um, but good. And it's interesting because one of the things that struck me this year, and bizarrely, sort of very much in line with with stuff that you've been talking about um, from your Bulgaria trip and your your China trip, is that the presentation the the slots have been reduced quite a lot. So it used to be sort of two hour slots, and you know you'd give an hour and a half presentation and then Q and A. And this year they were sort of down to 45 minutes with almost an hour Q&A discussion uh, at the end. And, and that sort of flip, um, I think, is really beneficial for lots of reasons. Um, but it also really highlights how prepared the students are, you know, because you're, you're not leading them with questions. You are quite literally opening the floor 
and the questions could have gone even longer, right? So it, that's it's always really encouraging. And I mean, I, I I'm not sure I can remember back if I would have done that as a PhD student. I I don't know, but I mean, it's it's very encouraging to to be part of that sort of dynamic and and you know listen to different perspectives and different just I don't know just different ways of approaching problems. Um, and you know that's that's really really interesting for me. I suppose as well as we've said before, it um, it can therefore make the most of the time that you're there too, can't it? Because let's face it, you can give a lecture sitting where you are yeah. Yeah. to people anywhere. Um, and, and that's got benefits, of course it has. Um, but rather than giving a lecture and then, as you say, spending 15 minutes on questions when... I don't know. Often as well, people are just getting warmed up yeah. then. A bit, yeah. aren't they? You'll get, there's, a, there's usually a, a sea of silence to, to begin with and then the first question comes and then it, yeah. then it gets very lively. And then you've got to stop really before you started, which is a bit of a shame. So I think that's interesting that they've done that. Because yeah. as you say, it not only highlights preparedness of the students, but also the fact that they're making the most of, all been there together and having you there in person as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because, you know, having done it uh, online for the last three years and then in person for the two years before that, you know, I have a, a pretty good comparison now of, of, you know, what it feels like and the value, you know, and the experience, etc. And, I mean, like a lot of things during COVID, it got to the point where like, well, this is just easier to do online. You know, it's a long way to fly, um, it's a flight, as we've talked about, you know, in terms of sustainability and climate, you yeah. know, there's, there's that component. There's obviously a financial component, you know. Um, I think it's weird. I was reflecting on this um, as I was sort of coming home because assuming we were going to talk about it, that I think earlier on in my career, that, that sort of concept where somebody's paying for you to go and talk. And and that's I mean yes. it's very flattering. It's obviously plays to your ego, right? There's that whole thing is like, oh, I'm I'm important yeah. enough that somebody's going to invest their time and energy, not just in the financial cost, but all of the planning that goes along with you know hosting somebody yeah. and you know in in the Taiwan case, there's no actual visa, but there's still accommodation and there's transport from the airport and there's you know there's there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes to make these sort of visits possible. And so that would have been, you know, was certainly very flattering. Then I get to that stage sort of more recently where you think, exactly as you've been saying, this, is, this has got to be worth it. Like, the, you know, there has yeah. got to be a genuine, you know, reason. Now, in, in my case here, I've been working with Angela for, we think it's, it's probably similar to the type, time relations, you know, the, the, between 10 and 15 years. Like, it's, it's a long relationship. There's a lot mm -hmm. of publications. There's a lot of sort of cross stuff. And so there's that element of, you know, we do it for the people that we work with and we, you know, we, we try to keep those networks going. Um, but, um, yeah, so I was kind of thinking, oh, you know, is it, you know, can we really justify the cost? And, you know, I mean, my, my university is very happy to sign my, me off for the time because it's a study visit and it's international and it's, you know, all those good things, etc. And, of course, there's no cost to my university. So universities are generally happy um, for that type of proposal. Yeah. But, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, is it, is it really, you know, is it really worth it, you know, et cetera. And within about 10 minutes of being there in person, you start to realize, yeah, because particularly when you're talking about student interaction, that building up that level of trust, building up that connection, mm -hmm. you know, the questions that you're getting at the end were not the questions I was getting last year online. And they're broadly speaking the same group of students, but, you know, that ability for them to say, oh, okay, 
we're more relaxed now. It's a more of a conversation because it's a seminar, right? Nobody's lecturing at you. It's just people in a circle having a conversation. <clears throat> and from that perspective, I think it was absolutely <clears throat> worth the the my time, my <laughs> my fatigue levels, and you know, you know, the partner universities time energy coordination logistics and and obviously expense so i was i was i think very conscious particularly because of the conversations we've been having recently of not like oh i've got to make sure i'm really good at this and i'm really you know maximizing but just being very conscious of you know almost looking at it from above and saying oh what's actually happening and and how are we and i just really really like yeah 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 i really like the process this time i thought it was um yeah, really, really um, interesting for me, and and hopefully, you know, with some benefit to, to to the students. Um, I mean, it'd be interesting to hear a little bit more about the students because I know that um, I mean, unlike myself, where I don't really interact on a regular basis with students as as you do because I don't have regular <coughs> teaching slots. But um, so obviously, you do that with the students that you've got in Dubai, um, but. I guess as well, one of the advantages of going somewhere else is also that you get to work with the students that are there, different types of students and, you know, different experiences, different backgrounds by and large. So it'd be interesting just to hear a little bit about the students that are there and the demographic that you've got there as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, sort of similarly, I guess, to my experience in Dubai where... I mean, Dubai and the UAE more broadly, but Dubai particularly is a, you know, is a very, very international place where, yeah. I don't know, 90-something percent of us that, that live in the Emirate are not from the Emirate. So, you know, we're not Emirati. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the majority of my students here are regional, let's say, you know, from the Gulf uh, um, region. So they're all sort of connected with a, a shared cultural construct and, and religion and language, but, you know, obviously nationally, ethnically, very, very diverse. Um, but sort of, uh, uh, so we don't really count them as international because we all live here, even though we are international, except they're, of course, they are international. So it's kind of an, a weird dynamic. And similarly in, in Taipei, um, uh, the majority of the students are Taiwanese with some <clears throat> um, uh, from neighboring uh, East Asian countries. So um, the university in Taiwan has a, a joint degree program with the university in, Hai- in Hong Kong. And so there there are often a Hong Kong student um, who will be sort of on the study uh, section in in Taiwan. There are often students from mainland China, um, sometimes from Korea, um, uh, but predominantly Taiwanese and certainly in the sense my students would be primarily Arabic first language speakers. The students that I'm speaking to are predominantly Mandarin first language speakers. And one of the things which is almost universal with the students that I meet out there they are very nervous about their English. They are very apologetic about their English. And they, from my perspective, are completely wrong about the assessment of their own English capabilities because yes. they have no problems whatsoever. And this is having fairly high level research conversations. You know, so we're talking about you know, fairly complex academic language um, um, there's a, there's always that joke, um, you know, the stereotype about, well, you know, students from certain parts of the world won't ask questions and, you know, and that has not been my experience, um, either where I am in Dubai or where I've worked uh, in, in Taiwan. Um, students are very, very respectful 
um, of of academics, which is you know it's, it's kind of a cultural construct, but very mm-hmm. willing to ask questions and very willing to ask a second question, and you know to ask for an explanation of that. So it's not a case of you know, the academic says something and it's taken at face value and, and then sort of moved on. It's like, no, no, there's an inquisitiveness of, I don't understand how that works. You know, could you give me advice on how, would, you know, so it's a, a very sort of collegial conversation, I think, um, yeah. uh, which is very, very, very interesting. And um, a lot of um, the research that they're looking at is is within the Asian space. So it might be a comparative analysis between Taiwan or Hong Kong or Malaysia or Singapore, um, but it, it's broadly within the sort of the Asian, Asian sphere. Um, and these students are all in, in education. So they are all looking at internationalization in, in some form or, or, or other, but looking at internationalization from a very different lens than you or I look at internationalization. So yeah. that's really interesting. I mean, it might be interesting to come back to the language teaching and learning aspect of it given the conversation we had with regard to Bulgaria and the one we had with with Vicky Lewis Mm. a a little while ago but I'm just interested to pick up as well on what you've just been saying there with regard to Taiwan itself and internationalization and whether you've you know noticed changes and shifts and developments over the years that you've you've been either visiting there or working with Angela or other colleagues as well I know I first went to Taiwan many many years ago when I first lived in in Japan but I but I didn't really ever interact there on a sort of academic basis if you yeah yeah I mean and and the only other students I've met have been students that have either been in the countries in its environs, particularly Hong Kong, yeah. uh, or or in in the UK. You know, we've always had, I think, whatever institution I've been in, we've always had significant numbers of students coming from yeah. from Taiwan, um, and and often studying a very wide variety of programs. Even you know, particularly ones within my area, mm. for example, or ones with regard to English or linguistics or history or those sort of areas as well. But so I'm, so I'm not familiar myself with, you know, Taiwan itself and how it really has engaged with the internationalisation agenda. So could you maybe tell us a little bit about that and whether you've noticed any changes in particular in the last little while? Yeah, no, and it's, it's interesting actually, and I'll sort of circle back to this, because the internationalisation in Taiwan is very intricately connected to language teaching. Um, so... Uh, mm-hmm. There's been a lot of talk, uh, and Angela indeed is, you know, is on multiple advisory boards and, I mean, you know, wins National Researcher of the Year and, you know, advises this and et cetera. And she, she was part of the, the committee that was looking at uh, establishing the regulations that would allow for branch campus development in Taiwan. Like, sort of, that's sort of simply, simply put. And it, and it sort of went, you know, relatively far and then, you know, government changed and then it's sort of, so not, not dissimilar to what we've seen in India, you know, if there's appetite, it gets so far and then it sort of stops. And then, um, um, and there's, con- there's, from my understanding, there's concern that um, the influx or potential influx of foreign branch campuses um, would actually be detrimental to the university structure that is there. And then the other opinion is, well, actually, no, the competition um, driven by foreign branch campuses would actually be beneficial to the public sector because it would, you know, it would drive it. Um, and this is coupled by something which I wasn't particularly aware of until until this last trip, but several of the students are working on it, which is um, Taiwan is experiencing a very, very, very low birth rate um, to the point where they are expecting 
a knock-on effect in the near future that will result in school closing. Therefore, college and universities <laughs> either closing or merging because there's simply, there aren't the people to educate. So it's, it's not so much about mm-hmm. the, you know, the conversation that maybe we have in the West about the reduction in humanities or arts. It's simply there aren't enough people to, to merit the number of institutions that, that exist. Um, and so that's, you know, they're, they're looking at internationalization as a way of sort of joint degrees, which exists, as I said, and CCU has one with, um, with Linang in Hong Kong. So those already exist. And, and there is some student mobility and some student exchange and study trips and sort of the, the teaching mobility that we've talked about, you know, in the past. Um, but not really in any sense of, of, I mean, certainly not when we look at, say, what Malaysia's T&E numbers did for the, the, the education sector, right? So <clears throat> um, it's, I think they're at a, I mean, to say they're at a crossroad seems a little cliche, but I think they are at a point where they're going to have to start thinking deeply about the framework of their higher education sector. Um, I, 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 it's not a case of they, I'm not arguing that, oh, they need the foreigners to save it. No, no, not at all. But they, they, they are going to need to think about how they, you know, restructure. You simply have the people, yeah. do they, as you say, yeah. if you, you, you're not going to say, you know, what everyone thinks of academic institutions and, and the fact that they're not big businesses. They are big businesses because, yeah. <clears throat> you know, people work in them and like to get paid and <laughs> students pay to go to the university and and so there's a there's a flow of finance there that has to take place and yeah. if you if all of a sudden there's a significant demographic dip i suppose it um it depends how long that potentially is going to be for i mean we had a, a dip here but literally it was a year and then back up again so i suppose there's a, there's an element of you might be able to to to, to shave things down yeah. so that you can cope for a short period of time um, but as you say, probably then, you know, the, the fact that um, you've got to just think of different ways in which you can cope, certainly if it's longer, haven't you? Mergers, I mean, we had some discussion of this we when we, we wrote the book before last, didn't we, in terms yeah. of what the, some of the challenges around around them, the likelihood of them happening, the fact that they're not usually things that people actively yeah. want to do. Um, there was an example in the, the, the States where there was that was the case, however, but mostly it's that one institution is is having a serious challenge, and the other one is yeah. going to, it's more of a takeover than a merger, isn't it? Let's face it. Yes. Um, but I suppose as well, as you say, one one of the other opportunities here, or options maybe rather, is is to try and encourage more international students to be coming on yeah. into to Taiwan, and on the one hand. I would have thought it's quite attractive for that. You know, it's um, it, it, it always struck me as somewhere when people mention Taiwan, where you you think, oh yes, of course, you know, and yeah, that would be somewhere where I would really like to engage with that. Or you can imagine students would like to go, but it, I can't imagine that it's always right at the top of students' lists, even within the, the region. And so I suppose don't know whether you've got a sense of them trying to do something there as well to try and raise a profile of what what they might do to encourage students from Japan from yeah other other areas from from Hong Kong etc to come no I mean absolutely and um, to be fair that you know just sort of walking around the campus um, and the, the sort of the neighboring streets of the campus um, in in the south uh, east of Taipei where 
know, those streets are more eateries and cafes. Um, there are many more international students than I remember seeing a decade ago. Um, yeah. And international students beyond the Asian region. So Western students, um, uh, you know, that sort of increased number and increased diversity. So obviously something that they are doing is, is you know, is working in, in that sense, right? Um, and one of the things that, you know, I mentioned that their internationalization uh, activity or, or identity, I suppose, is, is tied to language teaching is um, government sort of reform several years ago um, about EMI, so English Medium of Instruction, and the requirement that universities teach, I think it's something up to 70% of the classes in English, um, uh-huh. which is primarily to attract the international market. Mm. Um, obviously, if they're attracting students were they to attract students from mainland China or from Hong Kong, then obviously the language is, is irrelevant, right? There's, there's a consistency um, yeah. there. But as you say, from other Asian and East Asian, Southeast Asian countries, then there, there will be language barriers. Um, and so um, Angela and I, we, we actually did a webinar for, um, as part of sort of teacher training for, for various universities in, and we did this couple of Monday. Is that yesterday? Yes. Yeah, we did that yesterday morning. <laughs> it was yesterday, um, yes. <laughs> um, Thinking about sort of practicalities of EMI teaching um, uh, and the types of things to consider. Because in some cases at university level, it's it's already embedded, but it's now sort of becoming at high school level. And, and so, you know, there's it's, a, it's an incredible challenge, right, to switch into um, uh, teaching mm-hmm. in another language. And particularly strange I mean, where... Do they, do they teach at, at school? What's, what's the... No, no, that's, English do that's, they get in the school system? Yeah, so that's primarily, depending on the school they go to, that will primarily be in Mandarin um, um, with sort of English classes. But as you increase up through high school and then mm-hmm. into college, then it's being taught, um, you're being taught in, in English, um, which is obviously particularly strange if you're in a university structure where potentially the instructor, the, you know, the, the academic is Taiwanese. 99% yes. or 100% of the student population in class are Taiwanese. And you're teaching in everybody's second or perhaps third language. I mean, it, it's a, yes. you know, it's an, it obviously down the line, it makes sort of makes a logical sense when you're talking about the diversification mm-hmm. of the student body. But it's, it's kind of an unusual reality um, yes. often in the present. Um, but I think it's, it's, a, it's a strong initiative to, uh, to begin that sort of, you know, uh, opening and, and attraction uh, for uh, for students outside of the region, if not just the, the country itself. Um, yeah, so that's that's. I think that's a, been an interesting, not not without its its um, resistance, as you'd obviously expect. Um, but uh, but you yeah. know, the the idea behind it is is very interesting. Yeah, you, it's it's one that pulls you in two different directions, isn't it? Really, you, you know, you can understand it from the point of view of those within it because on the one hand you know you're saying well what is wrong with us so we should be teaching in our own language you know using our own examples you know it's all about our own culture etc but so why should we be doing something in this universal language of english except that of course one of the things you do want to do is provide your students in particular with the, the best opportunity that you can and one of those opportunities, obviously, is if, if they can be doing something within English where you can go to many more countries than you can with yeah. any other language, you know, and do many more jobs, then, you know, you can, un- you can understand that. So there's that natural tension, isn't there, I suppose, yeah. between those. Yeah. Do they, um, 
does Taiwan have a, a, a system at all like um, like Japan well had, but I think it still has with the with the JET program, the Japan Exchange in Teaching program, where they would um, bring young people by and large, but you know individuals over to over to um, Japan into junior high schools and senior high schools to assist in the teaching of English. Anyway, very often they weren't English or they weren't teachers themselves. Very often they were, mm. you know, just individuals, I think, who um, had a, a keenness and an interest in, in living and working in, in Japan because you were sent to any, any area within the country, you know. Mm. And although I'm not saying that that is, you know, general policy for everything, um, I suppose it's just one thing one one example that sort of has, has helped yeah in uh, terms of as you know i guess if you've got in your classroom certainly if you're in a school if you've got in your classroom somebody that is from the country that speaks that language there's an almost an excuse sure yeah, to yeah. use it isn't that yeah. and of course you've got that individual that can do things but but also there's that you know you can ask some questions you can ask some questions about where they come from it's a little bit like i know certainly when i was at at school, you'd have language assistance. I we would have language assistance from from France or from Germany. You wouldn't have them all the time, but occasionally, you know, you'd find they to sort of just appear in the classroom, and it was great because you'd be like, "Oh gosh, I must, you know, I must ask this person, you know, a question because they're from that country, and that's really much more interesting." So I don't know whether Taiwan's got anything similar. Yeah, I'm not. To be honest, I'm not sure. Um, I did have conversations with with. A, a student, for example, she's looking at the teacher licensing uh, process and, and teach in order to become a teacher, you do have to spend six months sort of rotation within different schools. Um, so, you know, there, there is mobility in that sense. But in terms of the, the sort of international participants, I, I didn't get a sense that that was a thing. But again, my knowledge of that is, you know, I'm much more at the, say, the, the university type of uh, area that I've been involved with. Um, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because quite a lot of the students were were asking questions about publication and about networking and about you know working internationally and and you know well how how can I approach somebody and and you know how do I do you know this type of thing and and sadly one of the key variables of that is English, um, you know yes. very very regrettably if that's not your you know your your first language and even if it is your first language it's it's you know it's still i guess part of a system that we've just come to live within right it's um um and so a lot of the reason why exactly as you were saying you know, about preparing your students for the best possible outcomes and and you know, you know giving them the the opportunity to engage um a lot of the students that I speak to, they are actively looking to present in English. They are actively looking to present in international conferences yeah. um, precisely because it, it leads them to a greater network and it, it leads them to a greater sort of exposure. Um, and very interestingly, somebody asked me a question and I did not know the answer. And it made me really think, and even thinking about it, I still didn't know the answer. They, one of the students said, can you explain to me what qualifies as an international conference? What makes something an international conference? Yeah. And, uh, and they said, does, does it, you know, if I, if I go abroad, am I attending an international conference? And I said, well, yes. And then they said, but what if that conference is only, is national? Well, what makes it 
what gives them the the ability or the right to say they're international and and I started thinking about that and I thought I've attended conferences where I was if not the only one of two only international speakers and I'm speaking at a conference which is essentially run by a university in a city and in one case it was done 99% in Arabic and the 1% in English was my talk and everything else went back to Arabic now yes. that was listed as an international conference because I am not I am coming from a different country to present so I am mm-hmm. an international speaker and it, it got me thinking I don't actually know like like what what you know how many do you have to have or how do you, do you you know I, I wasn't sure and so I, I was like I don't know the answer to that question not not really I feel like we could have a whole chapter in a book on this couldn't we, we yeah. could, this could be the question rather than the usual question we ask people like well what's going to happen with international higher education now guys yeah you know an easy one we could actually just say to you know, a whole chapter on what is an international conference yeah. discussed defined yeah. you know if i do and i said su- yeah so i suppose I'm, I'm i'm going to um going global right next week in edinburgh uh so the british council's going global for, for those of you that don't don't know about it and i would say arguably badged as one of the yeah international absolutely um higher education conferences globally and yes. even it's in it's in the title <laughs> it's in the title there you know, going yeah yeah it's a bit of a giveaway um and and i suppose that when you do when you do go there and when i do go i do know that i'm going to be not only listening to and interacting with people who are presenting from different countries and with different experiences different types of perspectives, different types of backgrounds. They could be from governments, it could be from institutions, it could be from agencies, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the people in the audience mm-hmm. are the same. Yeah. And and I don't know whether... Um, there's probably some f- form of a food analogy that you could use here, <laughs> you know, isn't there? Like, how, how, how are you allowed to, to say that something's, a, you know, an Italian pizza sort of example yeah. or... No, it's almost like the opposite of where it, it, it can be called that it comes from a certain region because it absolutely 100% comes from there. Yeah. It's almost the opposite, isn't it? Is if you've got if you've got the, the demographic of a conference where 50% of the people don't come from yeah. the country or the city within which that conference is held, then you can call yourself international. But then what if it's only 10 people? Exactly. Yeah, I don't and, know. You know, five of them happen to have fetched up from Australia. Does that count? You know, so yeah. Some, and I suppose, and, and just thinking of going global, you know, I, I guess is what also what happens after it. Are the publications after it? Are there other sorts of things that that take place? It's a, that's a really good question. Yeah. yeah. And. You, so you must have had to manage to answer it somehow. I mean, it's it's one of those very academic answers where I, I started off, you know, fully committed launching into the question and to the answer and sort of three words in thought, hang on, I've got no idea. I mean, I, I can, you know, I can give them seven different answers, none of which are right. Um, yes. um, I mean, Going Global is a really interesting example. I mean, particularly, you know, the, the model that used to be, you know, in the UK one year and then another country the next year and then sort of rotating, yes. rotating around. Yes. Um I mean, I, I would say that the example I gave of, of the one where I, I was one of two international speakers, that's a national conference with international speakers, right? Because that's, yes. that's domestic yeah. 
you know, so to call that an international conference is probably a bit of a stretch. Um, but then, I mean, you, you know, you, you know, in any given place, I mean, particularly if Going Global's in Edinburgh, sorry, as Going Global, Going Global's in Edinburgh, just because the people attending are within a British institution doesn't remotely make them British. You know, they, they could no. be from... Of course. You know, so... Absolutely. <laughs> it's a, it's Absolutely. kind of a, a really, yeah. really... Yeah, I mean, maybe there's some sort of typology or, or you know, thing we can, we can work out about this. I guess say this is definitely this is definitely we need to go also go back to that student because we're going to involve that student in the writing of that certainly an element of wherever that chapter might fit within might fit within the book. Um, but I suppose actually as well practically it's a very good question, particularly if you're looking to be an academic member of staff at some point. Because I do remember myself being 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 told, you know, and I when I first started as an academic. At, at Birmingham University, you know, that you have to go, you have to present at conferences, you have to present your work at conferences. Um, and ideally, there have to be international conferences to spread that yeah. word and knowledge and profile and the more that you can learn. And I, probably a little bit like you, Chris, at the time, thought this was astonishing that <laughs> not only was somebody going to pay for me to go somewhere else to talk about what I was interested in, yeah. you know, but I was being told I had to do it. Yeah. You know, so it was not not a hardship, but it was almost it, almost very prosaic in that it was almost looking at, well, this is the area of, of study that I've got and the area of interest that I've got. Um, how, where can I find that's the furthest afield? <laughs> yes. then, well, that's got to be international, hasn't it? Yeah. And I think one of the first ones I went to was in Seattle. Um, and it was a language <laughs> teaching and learning conference. Yeah. And it was... For, but for sure, it just, and, and actually, it was something that really just opened my mind in so many ways to the kind of things that you would do at conferences and, the, you know, the, the, the people that you would have that you found from all parts of the world who were really interested in what you were interested in and took your ideas in a different direction. And I just found that astonishing. And I'm not saying that that can't happen as well on your own doorstep, but I suppose, you yeah. know, it just opens your mind yeah. to lots of different things as well, doesn't it? But yeah, really good, really good question, that one. Yeah. And one of those questions that sounds quite a simple one, yeah. until as you say, you're three words into starting to answer it, and then you're thinking, hang on a minute, that's a bit tricky, that one, really. Yeah. Yeah. So finally, then, um, what what would you say are your top sort of two or three takeaways from this particular trip hmm. and so, what is an international conference yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so um yeah so i suppose a, a very self-reflective one is you can you can travel you know uh from one continent to another to have your self-assured understanding of your own identity shattered when somebody asks you a question that you should be able to answer very, very easily. And that's always really, I think that's always really good. I think that that ability yes. to be um, placed in an environment where you are effectively in control. You know, you are, uh, I mean, whatever term you want to, you know, I mean, expert is a kind of sounds silly when you refer to yourself, but you, you know, you are there for a purpose. You are there based yeah, on your credibility, right? And you can still be completely 
not not shocked in in a, in a negative way, but you can be really surprised by something because you have simply never thought about it in that way. Yeah. And and having your it's not I mean it's not like they pulled the rug out and you know you suddenly question your own you know oh I have to go no no but just that that ability to to look at something in a slightly different way or a very different way and and then rethink a lot of what it is that you you know. Um, I talk to a lot of the students, uh, and you know, this will be in a podcast that will come out later about, um, you know, what is the purpose of a university? What's you know the identity of university? And I, I asked them your your standard question of what's the future of, of higher education? And there were some <laughs> there were some pretty varied answers, um, which we'll you know we'll we'll put in a, in a later episode. Um, and so I, what I think I found, so personally, I found it very refreshing to to you know I'm going somewhere I've been before. I'm going to talk about things that I talk about frequently um and yet the conversations that i had were completely different from the ones that i suppose i imagined i would have done and you know i've come home and, and I've, yeah. i'm now thinking about things in a different way and and i think that will inform the writing that we do in the next book um uh, so that that i think is a, is a very refreshing one and, and from that perspective the value of going is enormous um the i'm always um always very encouraged um when i when I get to, and I, I'm not actually teaching this term, so I, I haven't had the student engagement this term, but, you know, that ability to, mm-hmm. to have that sort of um, critical research conversation where, you know, students are looking at different things in different contexts. And, and, and that's, that's always very interesting because you start to think, oh, okay, good. You know, there, there's, there, there are people working on these problems, right? There are people working, actively working on these solutions. And, and, and that's, that's very, very encouraging. Um, I think particularly in the Taiwanese case, those people that I met, and the people that I talk to, there's an absolute willingness to try. Try something, adapt if necessary, fail and try again. And, you know, it's not, yeah. a, it's not a rigid system. It's a, it's a system that recognizes, well, hang on, you know, there's some things that they're going to be problems. They're a problem today, but, you know, they're going to be a problem down the line. Um, you know, I, I had a student talking about um, do you think it'd be possible that we could develop a self-accreditation process for universities? And, and how would I benchmark that? And how would I map that? And, and you're thinking, well, that's interesting. Like that, you know, that's not, it's been done in other places. That's something that you could look at. And, mm-hmm. you know, sort of, you know, people picking at the threads of, of what's been established and that willingness to, willingness to try. So I think it's a, it's a really useful lesson, particularly for academics when we've you know, we've been doing this for a while. It's that mixture of humility, inquisitiveness or curiosity, and, you know, the drive to do something. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I've worked on something, I can present my ideas, but I know that my ideas still have work, you know, that needs to be done. And I'm, I'm happy to have the questions, I'm happy to have those conversations. Yeah. I think that's a really, a really useful thing for <laughs> you know, the the older you get and the more entrenched you get and the more right you think you are, um, or well, the more right we know we are, I guess, right, is more accurate for academics. It's always really yeah. useful to have those those types of conversations. Um, um and so that that was very that was that was really fun. I mean just genuinely genuinely fun. Um and I guess the fourth takeaway is man, I am not as young as I used to be. Like this what this travel was hard. Um <laughs> The first morning, um, a student asked me a two-part question and I had the two-part answer in my head and I got halfway through point part one and I completely forgot what part two was. 
Um, I mean, I'm an academic, so I made something up and it sounded some way, yeah, you know, connected. but yeah. like, just like, oh, wow, that was like, this is the first session. We need to, we need to do something about this. So that was, yeah, yeah, that, that was a, a humbling, uh, <laughs> a humbling experience. But again, you know, always useful, always useful to have that type of experience. Well, that's brilliant, Chris, and it's it's great to hear of your experiences uh, there, and it, and it's good to know that you've come back not only with your mind open to lots of new, different things, but challenging and uh, your very own personal identity, uh, which seems to fit in very well with the general stream of the podcast that we usually have. Quite right, yeah, quite right. So yeah. thank you, thank you for sharing that with us, and uh, we look forward to hearing about your next trip. Soon. Yeah, yeah. I need some sleep before whatever happens next. But yeah, yeah. That's that, that will that will be fun. Although next, I guess it might be going global because it'd be very interesting. I haven't been to going global next in in yes. uh, in yeah. quite a few years. Um, I think actually the last one I went to, I was probably with was there with you. Maybe. I mean, that's that's a good few I think years it ago. Probably was, wasn't it? Yes. When yeah. And and just on that note, though, and this is almost a and next week on Think Education. <laughs> do, 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 do. Um, we've got the, the <laughs> we. Um, it, it, it is now starting to to go back to that format. Not you know, the original format was that it was always, as we said before, it was always in Edinburgh. And then some bright spark said, it's called going global. Why is it always in Edinburgh? And they thought, well, this is a good point, actually. So they, they have that. So now we're going back, I think, to that model. So I think the next one's going to be in Nigeria, actually, or some, certainly in North Africa. Okay. Um, and, so good because again you get to experience things within those regions don't you but yeah so this one though is back in edinburgh and probably will take me as long to get there <laughs> yeah. from here as it will you going to taiwan yeah so i won't necessarily i won't have jet lag but who knows where the train might end up stopping between it <laughs> between swansea and uh, edinburgh you get to see a lot of the british countryside which is absolutely lovely but you but much as I do like the British countryside, I do like it if it's moving when I'm on a train <laughs> as opposed to just stagnant yes. looking at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we will see. We will see. But no, it will be. And, and I've written this down on my little piece of paper because certainly what you do start to learn as you get older, Chris, as you've been saying, is that very often you completely forget what you're going to say next. And you have to carry on talking in the hope that a bit of your brain <laughs> will catch up. People go back and find out. <laughs> what you are going to be talking about but also what you do is get pieces of paper or post-its and write down what you're going to say uh, but one thing i'm going to try to attempt to answer or indeed we'll ask a lot of people when i'm there is what is an international conference yeah and, le and let's just um, maybe i should record some of the responses fortunately one can't record facial expressions on a podcast because no. i imagine i might get a few of those uh, interesting ones but we will we will see but i'm sure it will be very interesting when I finally get there. <laughs> yeah, well, save, save travels. 